Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Unstoppable Leader podcast with your host, Maria Parisetti. Now, today we talk to Jack Daly. Jack Daly is an amazing human being. He's a 15-time Ironman competitor and has completed over 95 marathons in all of the 50 states in the U.S. and over seven continents. Now, Jack is not just a leading sales speaker and Amazon best-selling author, but he has built not one or two, but six super successful businesses, two of which he sold to Wall Street. We talked about how Jack got started at this, in sales at the age of 13, and he shares some of his successes and his struggles. The episode is so full of many pearls of wisdom that I had to go back and listen to it myself again. So I hope you get a lot of wisdom and inspiration from this very special human being. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Unstoppable Leader podcast with your host, Maria Patisetti. And with me today, I have one of the most highest energy human beings I've met in my life, and that is the Unstoppable Leader, Jack Daly. Welcome, Jack. Maria, uh, I've had this on my schedule for weeks, yes. and, uh, and we're finally here, and I truly am energized and excited to be here with you. Now, you know, I actually wrote this whole introduction and I had like two pages, so I've had to cut it short because I could keep talking about you forever. So a little bit about Jack, a little bit. He is one of the world's leading sales speakers and trainers. He delivers unbelievably high energy workshops. And if you have not been to one of his workshops, I highly recommend at least once in your life, you've got to go and see him. He started his career, Jack started his career as a CPA at Arthur Anderson and rose to the ranks of CEO of several corporates. And Jack, you built six businesses, not one or two, but six successful businesses, two of which you sold to Wall Street firms. And Jack is an Amazon bestselling author who's written and contributed to many books, including my favorite, Hyper Sales Growth and the Sales Playbook, which I run our business by. And on a personal note, now I may have the numbers wrong because I don't know how many marathons and Ironmans you've now finished, but last count, 15 Ironman competitions. Is that right, Jack? Or more. 15 full Ironmans, yeah. 15. And yep. you've completed 93 marathons, or is that number a lot higher now? It's 95. Yes. <laughs> 95. And you've done all states in the U.S. and seven continents, Jack. Yep. I uh, have made the journey. Best, I, best I've been able to, try, uh, to figure out, Maria, uh, there's less than 200 people in the world that have done all 50 state marathons in the U.S. and all the seven continents. Well, wow. um, I, I think I think it's because the non-U.S. people <laughs> that do the continents are not motivated to do the 50 states. Of and, course. And, and then the 50 state people, uh, there's there's about uh, 800 uh, are, are evidently aren't motivated to visit all the continents, especially Antarctica, I guess. Yes. In the cold. Now, doesn't seem appealing to me either, Jack. But then again, <laughs> you are a unique human being. So I have to start with the building of the businesses because, you know, a lot of people build one or two successful businesses. How the heck did you do six of them, Jack? Like, how did you? Well, before we, we go there, yes. uh, those, those businesses all were built between the ages of 26 and 46 years old. So those are my adult businesses. But my, uh, my first sales job was at seven years old. And I owned the market and charged twice the price of every kid I competed with. And then at 12, uh, I became a newspaper boy uh, delivering newspapers to people's homes. 
And I took a newspaper route over from a kid that had it before me. It was 32 customers. And uh, a year later, I had 275 customers because I love selling. And, wow. uh, uh, but, but 275 papers to deliver door to door after you've gone to school all day is a big job. Uh, oh, wow. and, and doesn't allow me to sell. And, uh, and that's what I really enjoyed doing. Uh, and so I came up with the idea to uh, hire five kids to deliver the papers for me. Uh, and I, uh, I, I, I kept 70% of the money and paid them 30%. And that was the day that I realized uh, I, I want to be an entrepreneur and build businesses. So uh, at 13, I interviewed 200 successful business owners over the summer. And uh, I spent at least four hours with each one. And I wanted to know how they became so successful and what they would tell me to do and not do and those types of things. And there was, uh, there was some consistency in what they said. Uh, what, what many of them said you had to have goals. Uh, secondly, they needed to be written down. Um, third, not to, not to pick too many, uh, to put a date when you were gonna get accomplished them. And, uh, and then to give them to as many people as possible to put the heat on you, to put pressure on you. Uh, wow. we, we would call that accountability today. So I picked four areas of my life, financial, professional, education, and family. And I pictured myself, uh, what am I going to look like in those four boxes by the age of 30? And once I understood what the destination was, then mapping out the journey was a lot easier. And so one of the big things as an entrepreneur is we run into a lot of people that are trying to build a business, but they can't articulate very well what it's going to look like when they're done. And so Stephen Covey said it better than anyone, begin with the end in mind. Absolutely. So, um, and so I found that I'm most uh, thrilled, um, most excited about taking a blank sheet of paper and just doodling a company of what it's going to look like if I were to build it, what it would look like when I would sell it. And, I, 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 and I'm a build and sell entrepreneur. I never really wanted to keep something for the rest of time or pass it on to my kids. I really like the build out period. When you got nine balls in the air and you're juggling them all and hoping none of them drops and you're not sure how you're going to make payroll and, and how you're going to hire this person and, and all, of the, all of the complexities. Um, how am I going to finance the growth of this company? I live in, in Southern California, but I grew up in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. And when I moved out of here and moved for the weather because I'm an endurance athlete and I brought three people with me and we started the company and the four of us, 18 months later, all organic growth had grown to 750 employees in 18 months. And so one of the things you have to figure out when you're going to build something at that fast of a growth pace is how am I going to finance it? Where, where, where am I going to get the money to be able to pay the bills and to, to feed this growth machine? I know, I know how to sell. I know how to hire people that can sell. But uh, can, I, can I make the company uh, cash flow positive while I'm growing? Because I don't want to hold back the growth. So I, I love all of that. But then all of a sudden when the company gets to be that 500, 600, 700 people, uh, 
gosh, there's a lot of process and system and, and structure. And, and all of a sudden it's like, gosh, my freedom. I mean, I feel like it's my company, but I feel like I went to work for someone. I don't want to work for anyone. I want to go build a company. And so you just sell that one and go build another one. And so that's, that's what I did until I was 46. And I had a, I had a great run. I was very blessed. Uh, not, to, not to say that we didn't have some hiccups along the way. Uh, I, you know, as a, as, a, as a speaker, you tend to tell the positive stories, but uh, almost every one of my businesses, I lived in hell, uh, yeah. the, where I was on the border of not making it uh, and, you know, had to be concerned about my children and my, my, my wife and all the, those things uh, while keeping it all together. Uh, and uh, fortunately, I, I was able to break through uh, the barriers, the hurdles, and those types of things. But anybody that uh, builds companies and, and is an entrepreneur that tells you that, you know, that it was a smooth ride all the way, uh, I'm thinking they're fibbing. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, it's, I, interesting. I, oh. it's interesting. I was just thinking, as you were saying that, I was going, wow. You know, it almost sounds easy when you said the first part of it, but I was kind of glad you kind of temp <laughs> said the second part of it because for our listeners are thinking, wow, this, this human being is exceptional. And I don't feel that exceptional. How do I do what Jack does, right? Like you just, you just hear that story and he goes, wow, it's just so far out of reach, Jack. That's how it feels. So I was just thinking, yeah. could, you, yeah. could you share uh, maybe some of those really tough moments and how you broke through them? Maybe even one or two of them in those six businesses, Jack. Something that almost crushed you, but then you made it possible. Yeah, I'll give you two as succinctly as possible. Um, w one of them, uh, in 1998, our company was... Uh, honored as the 10th fastest growing privately held company in the US. It's called the Inc. 500, Inc. Magazine, ranks the 500 fastest growing privately held companies. We were number 10 on the list that year with 10,100% growth in three years. Um, that same year, Ernst & Young honored us as Entrepreneurs of the Year. Um, that's the part that I usually use if I'm on stage and telling people who I am. Now, now I'm gonna tell you the other part. Uh, the part that goes unsaid is that uh, that same year that we got those honors, uh, and by the way, the company was making a million dollars a month in profit uh, wow. uh, during that same year. Um, uh, later on that same year, I stood in front of our 275 employees and let 240 of them go in a single day. And we downsized to 35 people. Uh, in one day. And we went in a single month from making a million dollars in profit to a million dollars in losses. And the reason had to do with a lot of external factors that were going on in the world marketplace. And we were in the money business. And the product that we're dealing with just went away overnight. Wall Street decided I'm not buying any of it any longer. And our company was built to deliver that product. So, um, we were forced with the decision, do you just go BK and call it a day, or do you try to pare it down to a bare bone staff and rebuild with a new product, but it'll require a whole rebuild? And we chose the second in the rebuild process. Today, I can yeah. tell you, I no, I no longer own that company, but um, one of the three partners that I was in partnership with 
does own that company. And today it's larger than it was at its uh, height when we were winning all those awards. So there is life uh, after death, so to speak. Um, but we chose not to go the bankruptcy route. Um, that, so that's, that's tough sledding. Uh, another one is that I was uh, two steps removed from the chairmanship of a Fortune 200 company uh, in my 30s. And I was wow. running a pretty substantial company uh, with about uh, somewhere, I was carrying a debt load of somewhere around $700 million a year to, to, to just to satisfy uh, the needs of the business. And one day, uh, the grandfather of corporate raiders uh, came in in an unfriendly takeover and took over the business. Um, and uh, I had a golden parachute that they weren't, that wasn't honored. And I couldn't work for the person because their values were inconsistent with mine. And so I've got a young family that I got responsibility for. I was a big shot in the financial world. Everyone in the, in the executive ranks in the U.S. knew who I was. And, uh, and one day I was out looking for a job. Wow. Uh, uh, fortunately, I had enough of a reputation to bounce back pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, the, the world that I was in, which was headed for a unique stardom, uh, just uh, the rug got pulled out from under me. And, uh, you know, th that's life. And that, you know, that, that's going to happen, whether, whether you think it isn't or, or you think it is. I, I can tell you, unforeseen things do happen. And uh, the key is to realize that it's not you, that it's not unique to you. And that uh, the most important thing is you need to just uh, step up and bounce back. Um, can I, can I ask you, Jack, uh, in those moments, especially the one day that you had to lay off that over 200 people that you had to lay off, yeah. what, what are a couple of things that you do that are practical that you do that perhaps you could share when you're in that absolute low, like right now, there are so many businesses with COVID at that point, and some just don't feel like getting up and getting out of bed. What are two things or one thing that you could share that's practical that gets you out of bed and just gets you to bounce back? I mean, you're an amazing bounce backing person, if there's even a word like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a few things, and I really appreciate you asking that question and yes. tying it in with the, the unusual period of time, the pandemic that we're in. Uh, the first and foremost thing, is taking care of yourself physically. And you know, you, you follow me on social media and I'm pretty active in, in letting people know what I'm doing and how I'm doing in that arena. Um, when, when the, 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 the love of my life, Karen, uh, who I, you know, I was married for, you know, for 47 years to Bonnie and I lost her to cancer in 2017 and didn't think that I'd ever have another woman in my life. And a 20 plus year client surface uh and now we we are a couple and karen uh said to me now that we're together uh as a couple she said i never understood why you post all of the things that you post on social media but now i get it because you because i i go out socially with you and meet people and they go yeah you inspired me to do this just and and it's and like how did I inspire you? Well, every day you're posting that you did this and that and this, and I I just say, well, get up off my lazy ass and do something. Yes. And so Karen said, it, you've inspired me over my years, but I never really put it together. Uh, so so the first thing that I say is this: um, 
take care of yourself physically, um, mm -hmm. health and fitness. Um, you and I, Maria, have had a coaching relationships for mm -hmm. a few years. And, you know, the, a topic that's of most important to me is how are you taking care of yourself physically? And yes. that's the priority because if we don't take care of ourselves physically, we're actually not anywhere near as good as we can be in our business and to our family. And um, if not taking care of yourself physically, uh, what, what else is more important than that, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I run into people and, you know, I've become somewhat of a, uh, there was a, a guy in the U.S. that was famous for his physical fitness uh, routine. His name was Jack LaLanne. And on planes, people come up to me and say, I think you're the new Jack LaLanne uh, because of how much I'm de devoting my, my life to fitness. But I, 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 at 28 years old, I decided that I was going to live to 125. Uh, and I really believe that. And it's on my website in my bucket list. To live and to you will, Jack. So I prioritize taking care of myself, fitness and health and exercise. Um, and, you know, I'm watching other people on social media and, and the, here's what I'm hearing. Now they're in lockdown and, and their lives have changed and they're working out of their homes and all these different behavior things. And I'm still hearing those same lame excuses uh, that they, you know, that where, how do I find the time? Well, how do you find the time to post on social media? Does anybody have any movie recommendations? I've been through everything on Netflix. Uh, and, or somebody that's posting COVID-20. Now, you probably haven't heard of COVID-20. No. COVID-19 you've heard of. But COVID-20 is, since COVID-19 began, I've put 20 pounds on. And so that's COVID-20. Uh, and because they're sitting around and just stuffing their face, and they're not getting any exercise. And I don't want to hear about the gyms are closed or any of those excuses. So, so you're either serious about your taking care of your health and fitness or you're not. But I can tell you when you're confronted with uh, making decisions about whether you go out of business or whether you let 240 people of 275 go, you can make clearer and better decisions and you can stay strong in the decision by taking care of yourself physically. So that's item number one. Yeah. Item number two is focus mm -hmm. on that which you have control over. And um, I do CEO coaching with people all over the world on the phone. And, um, and, and I'm saying, look, it, it, this is a difficult period in our lives. I, I've gone through some very difficult things in my life, but nothing of this magnitude. But what I can tell you is it doesn't do any good to be forever watching the television spew all of their negativity. How many people have COVID? How many people were tested? How many people have died? What is it going on here? What is, where is the vaccine? What's the stat? I, I failed science in school, okay? I failed science. I was pretty good academically throughout, but science was my bugger. Um, therefore, I can tell you, I will not positively contribute to any degree on the vaccine. So <laughs> if it's got to do with the vaccine, I turn it off. I turn it off completely because I, I, when it's ready, then shoot me in the arm with it and I'm good to go. But until then, I don't want to hear about the vaccine and I don't want to hear about the people dying and I don't want to hear about all of the, how long it's going to take. It doesn't, I don't have control over that. So what I do is I try to narrow the focus and say, what is it that I have control over? For example, I'm a professional speaker and I make my living out of traveling the world 
and being in front of large groups of people. Um, I, I, last year, I visited over 30 countries. Uh, 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 the, the planes aren't, aren't flying anywhere. Uh, the countries won't let me get in anywhere. Uh, 38 states in the, of the 50 states won't even allow me to visit their state because I'm in California uh, and because they're afraid that I've got COVID. And so, uh, and if I got on the plane and got to a destination, uh, I'd have to speak to an empty room because nobody's allowed to be in a room together anyway. So my business is not, uh, not, not in my control. So what can I do in the interim? So I took the first four months of the, of, of, of the, of the pandemic and allocated a significant amount of time to write my next book. I was going to write it next year. I've written it now. Um, I, I also, um, I also built this list, uh, and I can show you this list. It sits right handily on my desk. Um, and it was dated March the 30th of this year. And I wrote down every name that I could think of. And by the way, I'm old school. I don't have this sitting in some electronic but database. There, but there's something and, in the power of writing, Jack, anyway. And, and, yeah. and these are the over 1,000 people that I wanted to pick up the phone and say, hey, how are you faring? Is there anything I can do to help you? And wow. I have control over that. I can tell you the amount of cards and emails and messages that I've gotten back saying, I don't know how you found the time to reach out and call me, but my God, when you called me, it was the absolute best time. I was in a low of my life and you picked me up and I'll forever remember that. And so I know that I have control over that. I know that I have control over this, uh, that I can work up what I'm going to work on today like a daily plan. Now, you and I have been together enough that you know that I make longer-term plans. Yes. But the government keeps changing the rules every day. One day, I live at the beach in Southern California. One day, I'm allowed to go to the beach, but I have to have my body in motion the whole time and wear a mask. Um, the next day, I can actually sit in a chair as long as I wear the mask. Um, and if I go in the water, I can take the mask off. But as soon as I come out, I got to put it back on. The next day, I'm not allowed to be at the beach at all. The next day, and the rules keep changing. So why would I make a weekly or a monthly or an annual plan? So literally, I have a old school again. There's my daily plan. And every day, I write down everything I'm going to get done that day. Wow. And then as I'm moving through, I'm checking them off and I'm gaining momentum. These are the things I have control over. And every time that I start checking things off and making, the, making progress, it's like I, I'm not listening to all the negativity. I'm like, gosh, I'm, I'm getting some stuff done and I'm, I'm in my zone, a different zone, but in my zone, stuff I have control over. Wow, Jack, that was just, that was amazing. So the two things for me is obviously look after yourself because, I, I mean, you've taught me this Jack, without your health, you're worth nothing. It doesn't matter how much money you have. So your health and your sanity and your fitness is important. The second thing is control the controllables. Is that a summary? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just because, because I think where you go downhill is when you start worrying about the things that you can't control. And I think every one of us has the inclination to do that because when you're really low, you tend to do that. But I guess if you have somebody like yourself or anybody who could coach you out of that, it's a lifesaver. Yeah, and, and, and sharing what it is that you want to do with somebody else or some other people 
just ups the ante in the game. It, it, it's it's really remarkable. Um, you know, I keep going back to Karen in this podcast, but she's with me all the time. It seems in my heart here and in my head. Yes. Um, but but we're 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 playing off of each other so well uh, that we're e- we're each bringing each other's game up without it's not even with intent. Uh, you know, and so, so I, if I'm up in the morning at five o'clock to go for a run, um, and she can't go for that run, uh, she's already made in her daily plan when she's going to find that time for exercise. So as an example, uh, it, 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 our, our podcast today started at 4 PM on a Friday in California. And, um, and she and I intend on going uh, to the pool for some lap swimming when I'm finished here. But, uh, but she, she allocated the hour uh, beforehand that she was going to be on the Peloton bike and the rower uh, getting her exercise because she couldn't make the run this morning when I was out there. And, 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 and so that, 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 you know, and so when she tells me that, then that just, that just helped me uh, get focused on what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, and, and, and those, so that we don't have a break in our momentum, we're Absolutely. encouraging each other I mean, with our, you've, with you've our got, own behaviors. Exactly. You've got a accountability partner in your life right now. <laughs> Other than, yeah. I know at one point you told me you have anywhere between 12 to 14 coaches in your life. Did you always have that Jack, even back when you were 20 in your twenties and thirties, did you have people like yeah, that? The number of coaches I take, uh, and put into myself changes over the, over the years. So it's, I mean, it's never, not, never no one, yeah. right? It's all, there's always someone, but sometimes it was down to one person. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, mean, I was a very active triathlete and I haven't been an active triathlete for four years now. But when I was an active triathlete, I had six coaches just on that sport. Um, and then, you know, I had, I, I had, you know, five on my, uh, on, on my personal goals and three on my business, right? So 14, um, and each brought a different, unique perspective. And, uh, you know, on my personal goals, um, the five people that I call the board of directors of my life, if you ever wanted to have pressure and I'm an older guy, so, uh, I'm 71, but. Uh, I don't act like 71, but I'm 71, but, but that means my kids are old, right? So, um, my daughter will be 49 this month and, uh, she is one of my board of directors of my life. She's one of those five people who hold me accountable. So if you wanted to be a, a great mentor for your children to put them on the accountability board, it adds so much more pressure because you don't want to sit down and review what you said you were going to do and say, well, I just didn't get off my lazy ass and do anything. Uh, In the back of your mind, you're like, Hey, wait a second. I'm, I'm mentoring this person. I need to step up my game. Right. Oh, absolutely. You just gave me the brilliant idea of putting my son Roshan on my board of directors now. And he's a tough coach, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so I have two children and Adam uh, Melissa is the 49 year old or 49 to be, but Adam is 41. And I would never put Adam on as one of my board of directors of my life because he's too loose. He's, yes. but Melissa is, uh, 
she's a tough cookie. And uh, so she'll, she'll take, take me apart when I need to be taken apart. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's toughest, you touched on the, the need for finance to grow a business and I'll come back to that. But I think one of the hardest things I find and a lot of peers that I've spoken to when you're growing the business is attracting amazing players and team members and staff You've always managed to do that, Jack. How do you do that? And not only do you attract them once, you keep them, and then you go and build six businesses and take them with you. How do you do that? Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I take them with me as much as some people follow. Follow you, Um, I know. They follow you wherever. I would follow you wherever. I'm not not robbing the last place, right? Um, But... You know, one of the proud things that I have uh, is that I had a company when I was in my 30s that I had uh, seven direct reports and six of the seven uh, after I left went on to uh, build their own companies as CEOs. Uh, And so, you know, mentoring and building leaders uh, to go off and do whatever their personal desires are is pretty, pretty good stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm going to say something that uh, certainly will be provocative, if not controversial. Uh, but, but you know, if if everybody buys everything that you're saying, then I'm not sure that you're walking the on the, the edge far enough yes, out, right? Absolutely. So, so, so here's the thing. Um, Steve Jobs uh, went on to build an incredible company the first company to ever hit a trillion dollars in, in value. And now uh, in one year has doubled and now is, is valued at over $2 trillion. Um, and, um, and, and yet, if I say the name Steve Jobs and say, you know, tell me what you're thinking, you would say Apple. And if I said Apple, tell me what you're thinking, you would say Steve Jobs. And so there's the guy that started the company with was and then came back and resurrected it from the dead. Uh, and, and when he passed away, how much of the company did he own? And the answer is single digit. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Bill Gates is usually listed in the top five wealthiest people on the planet. And he's the one that started Microsoft and, um, and how much of, of Microsoft does he own? It's single digits again. Um, and so, you know, I watch entrepreneurs and they're very protective of, their, of, the, of, of the ownership of the company. And um, sometimes, um, and I'm very, I'm very judicious about how I do this, it's based on performance, but to give some equity ownership uh, to attract and retain senior senior players um, is is money incredibly well spent. So when I'm staffing a, a startup company, I'd like to hire an, I'd like to hire a person that has already run something or built something that's equal to or greater than the size of the of the company I'm trying to build because they're not going to be satisfied with the little startup that I have. But how do I attract and retain them? Well, how, buy, buy into my vision and mm-hmm. listen to my history. I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. And here, I, I, if you perform at these levels, then you get some ownership in the company, right? So, so here's the best way to kind of frame that as a visual. You get a choice as an entrepreneur. You can have a hundred percent ownership of the lemonade stand in front of your parents' house 
or you can have a 10% share of the lemonade market worldwide. Wow. Which one would you prefer? Um, because you can run the lemonade stand with 100% ownership and never cut anyone in, and you don't have to worry about attracting and retaining really super talent. But if you want to own 10% share of the lemonade market worldwide, you're going to need some horses that know how to run. Wow. Amazing, amazing tips, Jack. I just... I should be taking notes rather than asking questions. I think, but I'm glad I'm glad I'm recording this podcast. I'm just thinking. So you you built all of those six with the goal to sell, didn't you? Because you're a builder and a seller. Yeah, yeah. So you knew absolutely. right from the beginning that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, um, the the beauty of build to sell is before you start to build it, you can figure out what the timeline is, what the size is going to be. Uh, and who the potential buyers are and what they might be looking for so that when you're building it, you don't add them on at the end, you build it in the construct. And if there's a way to have them become strategic partners of yours while you're involved in it, then it just becomes a very, uh, just an evolutionary conversation. Um, probably half or more of the companies that I built and sold, uh, the buyer actually broached me with the idea of buying and I was almost like oh I had never even thought about that when it was so on good. the game plan all the way from the first of the first of the year right wow wow I have to ask now you've got a unique background in that you were a CPA Arthur Anderson guy and then you got you're amazing in sales did that have an impact in how well you did? Because I, 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 having worked with you, Jack, you're amazing with the numbers. I mean, your attention to detail, again, super unusual combination to be a brilliant salesperson and watch the numbers like you do amazingly. It, it, is that, was that an absolute unique thing for you? It's very funny uh, because you've had the opportunity to see me on stage yes. uh, and I'm very animated uh, and I don't have a canned speech and I just can go all day and all that, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, so, so the, the weird part is actually that I was at Arthur Anderson as an accountant. The, yes. the weird part is not the sales part. Um, and, and, but here's what happened. Remember, remember early on on the podcast here, I said I interviewed 200 successful people uh, when I was 13. And I, I took some, some kernels out of that. And one of the kernels that I took out of that was um, – I understand the numbers because so many entrepreneurs open up their business and they're good at sales, but they go out of business in less than five years because they haven't figured out how to make it run profitably. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be protective of cash. You got to be protective of profit. You have to build your margins in all of those types of things. And so they recommended that I go to school and understand numbers. And so I have a bachelor's degree in accounting and a master's in business because I took heed of what these successful people did. And, and, and then I would tell you that when you go to Arthur Anderson, uh, it's all systems and process. Everything is system and process. And they just plug and play these smart people and say, here's the process. Um, I can tell you, if, if, if this, I went to work for Arthur Anderson in 1971. All right, so yeah. I'm really dating myself. Uh, we're, we're almost 50 years, right? Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you, if your responsibility on the audit was that you're supposed to audit cash, then what you used was Form 47. And Form 47 was 47 items that you had to go through and validate 
how the company's health was when it came to cash. Um, and everybody in the system followed it that way. It didn't matter if you were in the Arthur Anderson's office of Buenos Aires or Sydney or, 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 or Chicago at the home office for Form 47. And if, if you got transferred, it was Form 47. And, and there was something like that all the way through the organization at every level for everything that had went on. And, 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 and accounting is all about systems and processes. And so I said, well, then I'm going to take that concept and build my companies that are just system and process, everything. Uh, and so I'm famous now for being on stage and saying every sales organization should have a sales playbook with the, with the best practices of sales in the organization so that if you, you know, my largest sales force was 2,600 salespeople. You know, there aren't 2,600 best ways to sell the stuff. Figure out the best way, teach them the best way, practice the best way, and you'll be successful. So, uh, so my, my education, bachelor's and master's and experience at Arthur Anderson, just validated bringing that over into the entrepreneurial world where we're prone to kind of wing it a little bit more often. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I, I just put the, the two together and I think that that produced um, an advantage to me in the in the business world. Yeah, absolutely. Because what I find is a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, is a little bit of fear, too. They don't want to see the numbers because it actually shows the reality, Jack. I think that's generally in life as well as in business. <laughs> so you kind of I can't wait to see the numbers. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, it's all about the numbers. I mean, uh, I, I, being busy is not. Uh, something that I want to give awards for, right? Yes. Results are what I want to give awards for. Sales, I'm not impressed with sales unless they're generating profit. And mm -hmm. so profitable sales is the key. Uh, you know, I, I, in, in so many entrepreneurial organizations, you ask what the size of their company is and they'll give you the revenue number or they'll give you the head count. Um, I, if I could have a company that's making a ton of money profitably and has very few revenues and has very few people, if any, I, that's my ideal company. I have people that literally ask if they can spend a day in my house and uh, my home office, which is in my home, uh, and just spend a day consulting with them. And, and so we'll agree to do that and they'll show up and we'll spend about the first two hours and I get interrupted all the time and they'll go, uh, I, I need to ask you a question, Jack. Like I thought that what we were going to spend our time on is how to build uh, the sales team. And yet you keep asking all these questions as if we're not going to build the sales team. And I say, say to them, well, uh, if we need to build a sales team, we're going to show you how to do that. But if I could build your company the, consistent with the vision that you want along the timeline and do it without a sales force, that would be nirvana. And they yeah. just start laughing and going, yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, let's explore that first. And then if we have to, we'll find a way to build the sales team. But, you know, managing people is a big task. Yes. Um, and it's forever people, new people coming in and people leaving. And how do you find the good people and all the rest of that and performance reviews? And um, gosh, if I could figure out how to run a business without the people, I, that would be pretty slick. That would be. You're there now, though, Jack, but a lot of us are catching up. <laughs> So, <laughs> there's a few of us there. Now, I have to get to the the personal side of things, Jack, as in how you just, you live life by design. 
And I know, I remember reading about this. I don't remember whether, whether it was one of your speeches. And you said at the age of 60, you, you decide, although at 13, you already had a plan to live till, you know, forever, 125. Yeah. And you, at 13, you started. But at 60, you actually started writing this thing called a, a year in review. Is that right, Jack? I mean, can you just talk to that? Because the way you measure everything, I mean, it's crazy. I actually always smile when I'm brushing my teeth because I remember you measure flossing every single day and drinking water. And every time I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I was like, oh, I have to floss because Jack actually measures flossing. What what a visual. (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) That's fine. So, So everyone's heard this expression, right? Things that get measured get done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why don't I just play off of the floss uh, since we get such humor out of it. But it's a telling example. Um, I never used to floss my teeth. And I would go to my dental appointment and my gums would bleed. Uh, and, um, and, and, and they said, you know, you need to floss your teeth. But when I would leave the dentist, I'd floss for a day and then I would just drop it. It just wasn't something that... And so I was on an airplane one day, I was reading one of those airline magazines and it was written, the article was one page and it was by a dentist and it said something, the headline was something about, would you like to have another five years of life? And, um, and I read the article and basically the dentist was saying, if you flossed your teeth five days a week compared to a non-flosser, you would get to live on average, all other things being equal, an extra five years. And then the article went on to explain why, and it has to do with the plaque and, and then building up in the arteries and clogging your arteries and all that. And I said, gosh, I want to live to 125. I'll put that down at 28 years old in my life goals. Um, this gets me five extra years, and all I got to do is take this silly string and wrap it you know, around my teeth every morning. Oh, I'm going to do that. Um, and so I put it down as a goal, and then I have these people to hold me accountable, and I measure all my activities that I do every single day, and I summarize them by the day, I summarize by the week, and the month, and the quarter, and the year, and I report to this accountability team, and um, and I have uh, I, I've I've flossed every day uh, since then. Uh, how do I go to bed at night without getting a check mark next to floss? Uh, and so it, if you want to change your results change your behavior, right? Yes. And, uh, and so now I go to the dentist, my teeth don't bleed, my dentist says, my goodness, it's unbelievable. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have cavities, I don't have problems. And uh, you know, my doctor says that, you know, that I'm the equivalent of a guy in his 40s right now compared to uh, the rest of the people that he sees. Um, and, and so it's, it's a competitive advantage. Uh, and so I track and measure amazing amount of things. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. And so, uh, I, and so I have a goal of reading so many books a year. Uh, and typically I'm going to read somewhere between 25 to 45 books a year. And in my bucket list, it says one year I'm going to re- read 52. And, and, and Karen and I, uh, we have a little bit of a disagreement here because um, she does audio books and I do books that uh, Somewhat old-fashioned way. Mine's in the Kindle, but you actually visually got to read them. Um, I could read a lot more books, read, if I were doing them audio, because I'd be out running, and I'd be knocking out a book every other day uh, with all the miles that I run. But 
that's not the 52 a year that I want. But I measure every every day when I finish a book. It go, goes into the into my tracking system, and uh, and it takes me less than five minutes a day to track everything. And then uh, we add it all up at the end of the week, in the month, in the quarter, and then report it accordingly. And because of that, it, 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 we you know I end up achieving all that what I want to do in terms of the books. Uh, but it's it, it, I would encourage people to go to jackdailysales.com and, and check it out. I post for the world to see my goals and the tracking and how I'm doing and all that. And, um, uh, you know, the, the flossing, we could dismiss it pretty easily and laugh about it. Uh, and I do, but, um, but I, 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 the, the, I, I've seen massive things that are really important to us. For example, uh, I, I, as a person, and naturally uh, don't sleep that many hours a day. Mm -hmm. But I read that if you want to live a long and healthy life, you should be sleeping eight hours a day. Right. And so I put that in my goals last year and started to measure how many hours of sleep I get every day and mm -hmm. started going through the accountability. Last year, I averaged seven. And wow. uh, this year, I am eight and a fraction. Uh, per day, and um, and I know that I wouldn't be there, be at that level if it weren't for the tracking. And so it's you know it, when it gets to be eight thirty at night, and I'm I'm going to get up at five. Uh, well, if I got to bed at nine, uh, that's my eight hours there. Uh, you know, nine to midnight is three, and five more is eight. So it, it, you know, if I'm going to do something watching a TV program, I need to do it before then, or I need to either get it uh, so that it's recorded and I play it some other time. But but it's changing my behavior. That's the key, right? Well, I have on, on the things that are most important. Well, I think it's important. I mean, I jokingly picked flossing, but but that actually is a it's a reflection of the level of discipline you have, Jack. That's what inspires me beyond measure because, I mean, it starts at flossing, but it goes all the way to sit-ups and, and how many movies you watch, how many books you read, how many, oh, crikey. It's just, it's just so much there. And it's overwhelming for, for somebody who doesn't do it at all. And I remember uh, the tip that you gave me, and I would love you to share that uh, before I try and wrap up because I could talk to you for hours, by the way. Uh, uh, one of the things you said to me, when I was struggling to get into this discipline of consistently working out, you asked me to do something. Do you remember what it was, Jack? Where you said, put in an appointment. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, 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 I've taught a lot of people this. Um, let's say if you went to my website, uh, you would see, I have a lot of doctor's appointments. I, I don't yeah. wait for the car to break down the car being me. Yes. Uh, I, 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 I go to all of the, all the important doctors on a regular basis before we have trouble. Right. And so I have lots of doctor appointments and let's say I have a doctor appointment 9am. I'm going to show up at their office at 845. Um, and I'll bring my Kindle with me and get some reading done. Uh, I'm never going to sit there and read the, uh, the year old magazines that are sitting there. And, and so uh, I'm okay reading my, my book for 15 minutes, but at, at nine o'clock I expect to be waited on. But how many times do we sit at the doctor's with a nine o'clock appointment, arrive at 845 and we're still sitting at 930. Yeah. Uh, and that really, that really frustrates me. It really makes me annoyed yeah. uh, because I have a packed day and everything is packed. And here I am at 930. 
But on reflection, I thought about it and said, no, wait a second, you know, if we ran our lives like this guy's running his business, we would have a lucrative life because he's got or she's got three appointments all kind of stacked on top of one another. They got an assistant that puts the three patients in three rooms. They're taking their blood pressure and their pulse and, and, and getting ready. And then when they're out, the doc comes in, does his quick magic or her quick magic and gets out. And then they send you down to the appointment desk or the billing desk or whatever. Um, and it's just like the doctor is like running around like a crazy man, but he's probably doing, you know, 50% or a hundred percent more in revenue generation because his day is packed all the way, minute by minute by minute. So if we could, if we could sit down and I would recommend building your daily plan within 30 minutes of going to bed the night before, because your subconscious will work on optimal execution of it. And when you get up, you don't get up and make your way to the kitchen for a cup of coffee. I've never had a cup, but I've seen a lot of people. And, and so trying to wonder what they're going to do, wake up, you know, and, and by the time they get their to-do list, I've already knocked half of mine out because the night before I've got mine all made up and I'm ready to go. Um, and, um, and, and so, uh, I want to book everything like right on top of one another. So, um, you, you booked this, uh, appointment, um, with, with one of my assistants and, uh, and I have one assistant that handles my calendar. I'm not allowed to put anything on my calendar, uh, but we have one person that books it so that it's packed and it just goes one after another, after another, after another. And by the way, when you're jam-packed and you put your personal stuff in there as well, so your health and fitness and your doctor visits and your reading and whatever else it is, there's not room for uh, Netflix, I ran out of movies, or I need to go find more snacks and bad food to eat during the pandemic and all the rest. There's no room for that in my life. If you were to go and look at my, at my activity that I took that was accomplished last year and compare it to this year, you would see the books I've read and the movies that I've watched are way down this year. And one could say, well, wait a second, with the pandemic, you've got more time. But when I read more of my books and watched the movies was when I was in flight and I was, mm -hmm. I was 300,000 air miles. And so I, I don't have any air miles and I filled my time with things that are going to be more productive while I'm on the land. So I have to, I have to really work hard to find reading time and movie time because my agenda is so packed with other things that are quote unquote controllable and more beneficial to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to try and wrap this one up. I was just thinking, given how a number of people are feeling right now, Jack, if you were to leave them with one or two pearls of wisdom, that would uplift them today in this climate, what would they be? Um, figure out what you really, really, really enjoy. Really enjoy. Um, and if what you're, what you're involved in today isn't that, then craft a plan to go do that. Figure out how to get into a place, into a state that you really enjoy what you're doing. Um, because if you're, if you place yourself there, everything else gets easy that has to do with it, but it's hard. Work is hard for most people because they're engaged in something that they're not passionate about. 
So find your passion and pursue it. And the rest of the blocks kind of fall into place pretty readily. Um, and, and the second thing that I would tell you is that uh, if you walk through life with a feeling of gratefulness, um, that your community, whether that's your family and friends or your business associates, uh, they can tell if you are walking in life with a sense of gratefulness. And you know, during this time of pandemic, people can say, um, what's he talking about? How can you be grateful? This is like the worst time of, of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, uh, I'm an endurance athlete and, um, and I, I fell on uh, early December on one step and I severed my quad tendon, which is worse than a broken leg. And I was in a brace for four months and, and I was in physical therapy, um, not just at home, but going to the doctor for physical therapy three to four times a week uh, that just ended about a month ago. Uh, if, if, if the pandemic hadn't hit, uh, I know I would have been traveling all over the world, speaking in front of my audiences and not doing my physical therapy. Today, I'm back to where I was physical fitness wise. And I, in the last six weeks, I've done three half marathons. And so I know I wouldn't be there uh, without the pandemic. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, in April, uh, I, I, I detected some growth on the top of my head and discovered that I had stage three um, uh, uh, malignant melanoma. And literally the end of April, the 24th of April, uh, the, the surgeon took out of the top of my head the size of the palm of my hand an inch thick out of here. And uh, fortunately, we were able to get all of the cancer out and I didn't require radiation and I didn't require chemo. And now I'm on a three month program where for the rest of my life, we'll come in and take chest x-rays and, and do all the examinations to make sure that it's not spreading and going anywhere. Um, and had I not snagged that and had my hairstylist say, there's something ugly on the top of your head, you've got to get it looked at. Um, I, could be, I could be looking at either being dead by now or knowing that I'm dying somewhat soon. And I lost my wife in 17 to cancer. So yeah. it becomes very personal. And then, as I mentioned, I was in this magical marriage. I mean, I met my wife when I was 16. <laughs> and I lost her at the age of 68. Uh, and we just, we, we, we'd never been with, without each other our whole lives. And I thought, well, I, you know, that was a good run, but I guess the rest of my life I'll be alone. And here I am with this magical woman in Karen, and, uh, and, and we're, she's just taken my life to another level. She's a CEO and owner of a very successful company, and we just gel off of each other, and uh, we, we participate with each other in, in activities and physical activities and running and swimming and all the kinds. And so... Uh, I, I, oh, let me show you this. Um, I mentioned my son, 41 years old. Every Father's Day, he gives me a coin. And this coin uh, has number 16 on it. Uh, it represents his 16th year of being drug-free. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he was a serious methamphetamine addict. Uh, and when he was in his 20s, I actually didn't believe that he would live to be 30. 
And today yeah. he's been clean for 16 years. He's a successful entrepreneur. He has a wife. He has two lovely children, my first grand granddaughter um, in, in baby Lucy Bonnie. And, and, and I, my life is just full of things to be grateful for, right? And, and, and when people are around me, uh, they tell me I exude that, that essence. Yeah. Uh, and people want to be around people that are grateful. And every one of us has something to be grateful for. So I tell people all the time, gosh, I don't care how tough it is out there. Um, find things to be grateful for. Hug, hug, hug the people that are involved in your gratefulness. Let yes. them know how grateful you are. It's a powerful, powerful state to be in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, you've just filled my heart with complete gratitude. Jack, thank you so much. I will not cry on a podcast, but grateful to have your time because I know how busy you are. And I really, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Jack. Maria, my thanks to you because, because your voice is reaching a marketplace that I probably wouldn't be reaching. And if the hour or so that we shared with each other, if we just touched one person behaviorally, yes. that elevated their life um that's a pretty powerful thing to say and absolutely that, that and that's you that's not me that's oh, you. all the yeah. way through now if they wanted to reach you jack uh, if the listeners wanted to get in touch with you what would the best way be i know you've got a book coming out i, I feel like i need to do another podcast on your book when it is out <laughs> you've got a book coming out and you've also if they wanted to reach you what would the best way be so email's my preferred deal right so it's yep. jack at jackdailysales.com yeah. um, and daily is D-A-L-Y. Okay. Uh, so jack at jackdailysales.com. Uh, I read my own emails. I may not deal with all the emails, but I do read them and then somebody that's best suited will take care of them. But I, I do answer a lot personally, as you know. I know, I know you do. Thank you so much, Jack. And, and my heartfelt gratitude for your time and for yeah, you being and, in my life. Thank you. And, and, and big hugs to your family, okay? Thank you, Jack. Thank you. You bet. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning into the Unstoppable Leader Podcast with me, your host, Maria Pettisetti. And if I may ask you for a favor, please drop me a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'd love your feedback and love to hear what you think. And if you want to stay up to date with me and the business that I'm in, then please check out my LinkedIn page, Maria Pettisetti, or our website, theunstoppableleader.com. That is theunstoppableleader.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable.